The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, Give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Years ago, when we were living in Turkey, I had an experience that caused me to think about how I understood justice. We had come home from a church Christmas party, and I was taking the babysitter home, and we lived right on the bay, which is just a beautiful bay in Izmir. And along that bay runs a wonderful boulevard, very wide. And it's a very popular spot for people to walk along during the evenings, And also for cars to race once in a while. Well, I was taking the babysitter home, going along on this boulevard. And just as I started to turn left to go into her neighborhood, we were hit broadside. A car had started to pass about three cars behind us. And because of the way the boulevard was bending at that particular point, I couldn't see them coming. And we were hit. Well, thankfully, none of us were hurt. But we were right in front of NATO headquarters. I was a little concerned about that. (laughs) But I went into the duty officer. It was a Turk that I knew well. And I told him what had happened. And he said, uh, whatever you do, don't speak a word of Turkish. Because he said, they won't give you a translator. And then he said, I'll call the police. So we waited for the police to come. Now, as it turns out, the people who hit us were... Uh, It was a carload of young men who had been drinking fairly heavily, I think. It was rather obvious. The police came. They loaded us into a pickup, crammed us all together, everybody, the guys that were drunk, me. Uh, By this time, I had somebody taking the babysitter home. We went to the police station, gave our statements, and then they realized it was the wrong police station. (laughs) It turned out that the accident happened right on the border between two precincts. So they loaded us into the pickup again, drove us to another precinct. At that precinct, there was a judge, and he was the one, he was the breathalyzer. So it came my turn to go up to the judge, 
And I heard him say in Turkish, it's an American. I know he's drunk. So <laughs> I didn't think I had much of a chance then. He, he motioned to me to come close to him and pointed to his nose. And I was to breathe out and he would smell. And that was, that was the breathalyzer. <laughs> Fortunately, I had had only one Pim's cup that night. I'm sure of that. <laughs> so I passed the breathalyzer test. But anyway, we... I went home and uh, waited to see what was going to happen. And finally, I was summoned to appear before a judge. So I showed up on the appointed day and hour, and I had an appointed attorney, NATO attorney, with me. And it turned out the judge was a woman sitting behind kind of an ominous desk, and she was wearing a cape. And it was like a Dracula cape. It came up, there, these, this collar came up on both sides. And I thought then I was really in trouble. <laughs> and she proceeded to uh, read a document in Turkish. And then once she had finished with that, she addressed me in English. And she said something to the effect that you won't understand why I'm doing this, because your system is different from our judicial system. But she said, I must find you partially to blame. And then she gave me the rationale. She said, if you had not been there, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Even though it was a legal turn and everything you did was OK, if you hadn't turned, it would not have happened. So I was trying to accept this rationale. And then she declared that I was 10 percent responsible. Well, that that incident uh, kind of jarred me out of my understanding of what justice is. But I think as I listen to these words that I read just now, I have that same feeling in some ways. It, it doesn't sound like justice, what Jesus is talking about. He seems to be saying that we should acquiesce to evil. And that goes against everything that most of us believe and care about. So I think it's hard for Christians to hear these words from Jesus and, and, and embrace them. We don't see it as justice. We don't see it as something that we're capable of doing is the other problem. It seems like such a high bar. How could I ever, how could I ever love my enemy and pray for my oppressor or for the one who persecutes me? How could I ever attain to that kind of, of goodness where I could just turn the other cheek? Well, I think if we delve into this a bit more deeply, we'll see that Jesus may have been saying something slightly different. Jesus first says that we are entitled to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. On the surface, that seems like a, a pretty crude law, but actually it was a good law because what it did, it, it limited retribution. It was not justice to demand two eyes for an eye, only one eye. So it was limiting justice. It made justice proportional. But then Jesus goes on and, and demonstrates that that's not how we're called to live. And, and the first example he gives is the example of uh, imagining a lawsuit where a debtor is being ordered to forfeit his tunic. Now, in, in, at that time, men wore a tunic and then they had an outer cloak. And what was being demanded was the tunic. And Jesus said, don't just give them the tunic. Give them the cloak as well. 
Now, to stand, that, that would have meant he was standing before them naked. And it was shameful to look upon another's nakedness. So therefore, by demanding and by relinquishing, this man was bringing shame upon the one who was demanding. Now, there's a second example that he gives that's quite interesting. It's about Romans and Roman soldiers who had the legal right to uh, ask a, any, a citizen to become a porter, to carry something for them. And th this uh, law said that they could only demand that, that it be carried for one mile. And if the soldier pressed for more than a mile, the soldier could be disciplined. And Jesus says, you know, when this happens to you, don't just go that one mile. Go the extra mile. And in doing so, I think he was saying to them, you are saying to your oppressor that you are free, that you are able to choose, that you can do something by yourself, not just obey. I think these examples are, are really uh, beautiful examples of how we are to see a different way of being. There's one more that he gave, and that was about being uh, struck on the right cheek. He says the right cheek. Now, if someone wanted to humiliate another person, especially if, if someone is superior and the other person is inferior to them, they might give them a backhand and that would hit the right cheek. Jesus says, turn the other as well. And in doing so, the person who turns the other cheek says, I am equal to you. Strike me here. So we see, I think, in those three examples that Jesus gives, that it's about freeing oneself from domination. It's about unveiling the evil that is found in those examples. And I think he's inviting us to see where in our lives evil needs to be revealed. The veil needs to be pulled off. I think those examples are helpful to us as we think about how we might live in a positive way in situations that are generally very negative. But then it gets tougher. Jesus says, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he ends it all by saying, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I think we hear those words uh, as condemnation, as judgment, because I know I'm not perfect. I know that I fail. I know that I can't do always what Jesus says here. My grandmother, when she was uh, dying, said to me, I don't think I'm going to go to heaven. And I asked her why, and she said, I just can't live up to the standards that Jesus demanded. And I think a lot of us feel that way. I think we go through life believing that we can't live to those standards. But I think it helps if we can unravel this a little bit. Jesus says to love our neighbor. Now, this is not a feeling of love. This is love as action. It's doing something to, to make a difference. And then he says, don't just love your neighbor, love your enemy. How might we act that would make a difference to our, the relationship we have with someone who is an enemy?
What might we do that is a positive thing? That might not change our feelings at all. And it must be said, parenthetically, that there are people who have been abused. There are people who have been so defiled by another person that it's impossible to hear these words without anger, I think. And that's just reality. God never demands more of us than we can offer. God only asks what we might be able to do. So I think part of this praying for the oppressor is in a way recognizing that we too are not perfect. We too are incomplete. We make mistakes. We do bad things. God still loves us. And God still loves our oppressor and our enemy. Well, then finally, Jesus invites us to be perfect. (laughs) How to be perfect. I think it helps to know that this word doesn't mean perfection like 100% on the geometry test. This is about being whole and about being complete. It's as though he says, be the person that God created you to be. I remember uh, my spiritual director talking with us one day about humility. And she said, all you need to do to understand humility is to look at your pet dog or your cat And you realize that they can't be anything other than what they were created to be. It's impossible for them to be otherwise. And I think that's what this perfection is about. It's about being the person that God created you to be. And Jesus says that if we do these things, we are children of God. We are created in the image of God, the imago Dei. But we don't often live into that image. But part of living into the image that we were created in is also expressing some of that divine character. And perhaps the most important part of it at all of it all is love, unconditional love, loving the other person because they were made in God's image. So I think Jesus calls us to a high standard. But I believe that he calls us to a standard that we're able to live into. We can only be the person God created us to be. And if we are that, we have praised God with our total being. May each of us have a sense today that we are God's children and that we can express that divine character of love. Unconditional love. Amen.